today I am going to, now look, I've got to get going. Oh, there we go. Continuing our series on well-being. Down, that's it. Today is relational beings. I've just got to get through the first three. And that's what we're doing. There we go. Then I'm on track. I'm sure you've heard this several times now because we're partway into this series. But wellness is about thriving, not just surviving. Yeah, we are called to live lives that are thriving. We are God's children. And our Father and Saviour wants us to flourish. He, he, he doesn't want us to just get by. That wasn't his plan. You know, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Are you enjoying abundant life? Because that's a promise to us as children of God. You know, it wasn't a new concept in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you future and a hope. We are people designed and called to have a future and a hope. No matter how old or young you are, that's your inheritance. Psalm 92 says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. I bet you've never thought of yourself as a palm tree before, have you? You are a palm tree. And uh, in Proverbs, it says, the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Now, as a biologist, that means a lot to me, but I won't go into it. In the message, Romans 1.17 says, the person in right standing before God by trusting him really lives. So as children of God, we are called and have the promise of a full and rich life. Through this series, we've been trying to highlight five key areas of life which are known to affect our well-being. Yeah, and today it's my privilege to continue this and look at it as the, from the perspective of being relational people. Yeah, and also to look at how that affects our wellness, our well-being. Now, look, I do not make any claims to be an expert. I was quite dubious about doing one of these talks. I thought, I am not an expert on this by any stretch of the imagination. And it is not an area of my life that I have always got right. You know? It, it just isn't. So what I'm sharing with you today is born out of those experiences, both positive and negative, but also out of the time I've spent in prayer with God and asking what was on his heart for us to hear this afternoon. At the very outset, I want to say to each and every one of us, if in this talk or in any of these talks, God puts his finger on something and you are hurting. That is because he wants to bring healing. 
So don't take it away with you, feeling vulnerable. Actually come and speak to someone and ask for some prayer. Because we have all these promises I've just mentioned. But if that's, if that's you, if that's what comes up, God loves you. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to be like a green leaf. Yeah, so don't take it away. I am a very visual person. So when I began chatting to God about this talk, I asked him to give me a picture to help me visualize what he wanted to convey this afternoon. And he gave me a tree. I love trees. As a biologist, they fascinate me. But when I meet with God, the place I go to in my mind, in my spirit, is to a tree. And when I was younger, I would used to be sitting under that tree, leaning against the trunk, chatting with God. And now I'm older, you can see he's given me a bench. And I sit on the bench under the tree, chatting with God. So I was looking at this tree, this picture he gave me, and I, you know, I enjoyed the tree for a moment because it's a tree and I like them. But then I was asking him, what, Lord, what, what about the tree is important for this message? And he said this to me, the crown of the tree, the branches, the leaves, the fruit, are our relationships with each other. The roots of the tree are our relationship with God. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the roots of a tree spread two to four times bigger than the crown of a tree. They're huge. They're what give it stability. They're what enable it to withstand storms and hardships. They bring up the water and the minerals that are vital for a tree to survive. But the leaves make the sugars that are equally essential. We need both relationships both types of relationships in order to flourish. I know that you and I know this in theory. If I asked you something about relationships, um, you would say to me, oh yeah, you need to put time and effort in. We need to build a relationship with God. And blah, 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 blah. We know it. Unfortunately, not everything we know do we live? And it's in the not living it that we fail to thrive. So you may know everything I'm going to say to you today, and that's okay. But my prayer for you and for me is we take it from the knowing and live it so that we see fruitfulness in our lives. So I suppose the big question then is why? Why is it important to have these relationships? And if they're so important, how do we go about building them? Why is it important for our wellness to know God? And how do we grow our roots? That is to develop and deepen our relationship with him. Science 
I love science, scientists. Science is just the study of God's creation. So, you know, we can listen to what scientists say because they are just explaining what God has already done to us. Sorry, scientist moment there. Um, scientists will tell us that as humans, the relationships we form with other people are vital to, to our mental and emotional well-being. Humans have a desire to be with other humans. Remember Tom Hanks and Wilson in Castaway. You either know it or won't. Research suggests that we need a network of these relationships, of a network of social support of all different kinds, whether that be romantic, friendship, work. It's actually the breadth of those networks of friendships that benefit us the most and help us to truly thrive. In truth, a positive relationship can be shared between anybody, any two people, so long as it is supportive both emotionally and practically. That is what we're looking for. You know, research uh, shows uh, five areas where relationships benefit us. If you have a good social support network, you have less stress. It's not that your life is less stressful, but the stress on your body, on your mind, is less. This is what scientists have found. They found healing is quicker. Those with long-term partners are three times more likely to survive the first three months of heart surgery than those without. Who would know? They say we're likely to have healthier behaviours if we have a good social ne network of friends. A greater sense of purpose, which is thought can also extend our lifespan, and even on its own, a good social network is thought to expend, extend our lifespan, so we're 50% less likely to die prematurely. I find this fascinating. Come back to that in a minute. Conversely, if we don't have a good social network, there are consequences. The rates of depression are higher. There is thought to be decreased immune function, higher blood pressure. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say all this is just due to relationships. Okay, that would be foolish. We know that there's many other factors that play out in our lives. And we also know that it's not a case of one size fits all. My daughter has a capacity for friendship which is humongous. She, I don't think she's ever made a friend and, and, and not followed it up. So she still goes out with people she worked with, you know, in, when she was at college in Starbucks. And she goes out with women my age from school who she worked with. She just is really good at friendship. My boys, much more selective. Their capacity is smaller. Their friendships are just as good. But they have fewer of them, not because they're not good at making friends, but their capacity is less. So we're all different. 
And I'm not trying to suggest to anyone that we should all look the same on this. But the truth is that we all benefit from love and support, both physically and mentally. I said it fascinated me, this science, and that's because it so correlates with scripture. Don't you love it when that happens, when the scientists come up with stuff and you go, yeah, I could have told you that. Um, <laughs> we are relational beings designed to flourish in healthy, supportive relationships because we're made in the image of Yahweh, who is a relational God. Yahweh, God, lives in that complex community of one with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And that relationship within the Trinity can teach us a lot about our own relationships. One of them being that unity and love always go together. We need to look out for each other and have each other's backs in the same way that the Trinity does. The oneness of God and the love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are not separate. They love each other perfectly. And that is our role model. Right at the beginning of Scripture, this relational God looked at his creation, Adam, and said it's not good for him to be on his own. And he set about finding a companion and couldn't find one that was enough like Adam for it to work. And so we're told he made Eve. But, you know, this isn't the only scripture that leads us to see that God is relational. Throughout the Bible, we see God interacting with himself in the Trinity and with his people. In Exodus 3, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. Just listen to those words for a minute. God has heard their cry. He's looked down and he is concerned for their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them into that land, a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is our relational God. Deuteronomy tells us that he's a compassionate God who promises to remember his covenant with his people. We know that he's a God who listens. After Hezekiah's prayers, when he's dying, he says, this is what the Lord your God, your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears and I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up into the temple of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. 
and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my sake and the sake of my servant David. We are made in the image of a relational, compassionate, caring, interactive God. Psalm 2 says, Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Jesus says, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Paul describes how our relationship with this relational God in 2 Corinthians and in Ephesians should affect those we commune with. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we have ourselves received. Our God is relational and he models for us how we should be relational to each other. I could go on and on. Honestly, that is like this tiny bit of the list I came up with when I was preparing for this. So we are relational beings made in the image of a relational God, created by a God of community to live in community with one another and in community with him. Science tells us what we already know from scripture. Strong relationships are good for us mentally and physically. But as people of faith, we know that being rooted and established in relationship with God is just, if not more, important. Again, science agrees with us. Recent studies have shown that religious involvement with God is better for your body in terms of immune functions and reducing loneliness. So in light of all this, the next question has to be, how do we build good relationships with each other and with God? The thing is, both take time and effort. There isn't a quick fix. But the tiny little steps that we take all bring blessing. It's not a case of we have to get up the mountain to see the view that there's no blessing until we've got to a certain point. Each step brings blessing. Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good work not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Good relationships mean we accept and offer support to each other. Some people are really good at offering support and not very good 
at accepting it. Others are very good at accepting support and not very good at offering it. But we are called to do both. We need to know and own our own weakness. We don't build strong relationships without giving them time and attention and having genuine care for each other. One Thessalonians says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You know, let's be aware when we talk to each other. Give all of your attention to the person you're talking to. Don't be half listening or looking for that person you wanted to have a word with. Listen well. We need to listen not only to words, but to body language. Sometimes the two don't marry up. We need to ask good questions. Questions that say that we care. And we need to remember what people say to us. If we say we're going to pray for someone, let's make sure we pray. If someone has shared something important with us, let's remember it and we can check back with them. Ask them next time you meet them. You know, when we do that, it lets people know that they've been seen and been heard, that they're important. That builds intimacy, that builds closeness, that builds a relationship, that brings wellness. Be open and honest. I'm not saying the first time you talk to someone, share your whole life story and all the most intimate details. That is not what I'm saying. But you know what I mean. That openly and honesty builds as you build relationship. It goes deeper as you get more into relationship. But be kind. Ephesians says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He's still our role model in this. This relational God throughout Scripture tells us how to do this. You know, for some of us here, this stuff is really easy. Like my Ellie. Make friends, keep friends. It's just like the rain falling from the sky. But there are other people who really struggle, that it's really hard, and it's scary. If you are someone that finds it easy, look out for the people that are finding it hard. If you are someone that finds it hard, don't sit on the sidelines getting ever more disappointed and frustrated. Gird your loins. Step out. Go and find someone to talk to. And if that ends disappointingly, don't let that be your one and only attempt because everybody is imperfect and we all have bad days. 
and you could have gone to talk to the friendliest person and they'd be having a bad day. That's the reality. So it's like, okay, it's hard, it's difficult, but we go again. Arrange to go for a coffee. Go for a walk. If that's too hard, go along to one of the coffee mornings or the breakfasts that are arranged. Come to a prayer meeting. There is nothing builds a relationship better than praying with people. Got to tell you. The thing is, be consistent. It's difficult to build strong relationships on sporadic interactions. I'm really blessed. I have some very good relationships. I try really hard not to take them for granted and to be there for my friends as much as they are for me because they really are there. Nick has been the wind beneath my wings for 32 years. I know that he has my back. Celia Saunders and I have met up every Friday for 15 years. She knows everything about me and I know everything about her. That didn't come in year one or year two or year three. It grew. Nick and I meet with Rob and Kathy every weekend for, to play cards and drink wine and chat. And we've done that for nearly 15 years. You know, there are other, we have a home group with some really long-standing relationships in it. I don't know how long I've known you, Jenny, but I think since the day I walked in the doors of the church. There are others like the Valdars. We don't see every week, but we see them monthly. Or Karen, across, but there's time and effort goes in. And you will all have those relationships. I'm not here blowing my trunk, but it takes time. It takes effort. It takes consistency. The, the, new, the parents' prayer meeting, you know, that unexpectedly has just been such a blessing in growing new friendships and intimacies. I'm blessed, but I have got it wrong. I do have broken friendships and relationships that cooled off because I didn't put the time or energy in when it was needed. So I'm not pretending that it's easy but encouraging us all, myself as well, that it's worth the effort. No matter where you are on this, there is more. Yeah, there's always more with God. It's one of the great things. So what about our relationship with God? How do we build that? You know, if we want to get closer to God... We have to go metaphorically to where God is and place ourselves in his presence. God is always present, but he is rarely pushy. He is unlikely to knock us over to get closer to us. It does happen. He is patient and he is loving and he is forgiving and he is always available. You know, just as we have 
the freedom to invite him into our lives in the first place. We have the freedom to invite him closer or not. Like human relationship, it takes an investment of time and attention and care. And it's up to us to take that initiative of moving closer to God, of placing ourselves in his presence and abiding there. Where do you meet with God? How do you ensure your relationship with him isn't treading water or growing cold? It's not about rules. It's not about you must do this or you must do that. But rather it's born out of gratefulness. And it's a desire to thrive and a recognition that our relationship with him is a key factor in that. Here are some suggestions. These, it's not exhaustive. It's things I do, basically. Take time to touch base with God every day. Acknowledging and giving him thanks for his presence. If you do nothing else, do that at the start of every day. Invite him to come close. To sit with you at your heart's kitchen table, or in my case, a bench under the tree. Just spend a bit of time hanging out with God. Talk. Some days this will feel like you're pouring out your heart. And other days it will be a casual chit-chat. Occasionally, all you will manage is, here I am, Lord, please be with me. But between friends, that's okay. It's all good. Listen. Remember to make it a two-way conversation. Expect to hear from God, just as you would from a trusted friend. God wants you to know how much he loves you. He wants to offer support. He wants to guide you. If you don't take time to listen, you won't hear his still, small voice. For me, this communication from God comes in all sorts of forms. It could be a thought, it could be a feeling, it could be in music, it could be something I'm reading, it could be in nature on a walk, it could be through other people or circumstances. And sometimes I only recognize that he's been speaking in retrospect. That as I ponder on the end of the day, it'll be like, ah, you will have the ah moment. Read the word. You know, God gave it to us as a revelation of who he is, how he reacts to situations, and how he interacts with his people. Some days you might just read a verse, some days a chapter, some days a whole short book. Again, it doesn't matter. What matters is being open to him and doing it consistently. Make contact throughout your day. Being in touch with God doesn't have to be only during times of meditation and prayer. It can be while you're on the run. It can be while you're washing up. It can be on the drive to work. It can be when you have a moment's break. 
and then take action when you hear God's voice. If you feel God guiding you or telling you something, take action on it as soon as possible. The insight you receive may only show you where to take the next step. But once you've taken that small step, the following step will appear in front of you. We are all relational beings made in the image of a relational God whose desire is that we thrive and live well with him and with each other. I leave you this typically obscure quote from C.S. Lewis. I like C.S. Lewis. You will have to ponder it. Good things, as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty, spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. Thank you.